we continue in the Lord Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> we make steady progress through it. We have now uh, reached this section on prayer and how believers are expected to pray. <clears throat> Again, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. <clears throat> this is God's Word. Listen to it. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you, O Lord, that in your wisdom... You saw fit to have your son teach us what it means to pray. To teach us even how to pray, O oh Lord. What is appropriate. To teach us, O oh Lord, how we may approach you. And we ask, Lord, that as we work through this portion of your word, that we would look, O oh Lord, to our motives in coming to you in prayer. This is the primary focus of the Lord Jesus as he teaches his followers. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would look at our hearts, <clears throat> that we would seek you, and that our desire in prayer would be to communicate with our Heavenly Father. We pray this in the name of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever asked yourself the question, why do I pray? That is, assuming that you do pray which hopefully you all do. Why do we pray? Especially as we're, as we're taught uh, in verse 8 that the Father already knows what we need before we ask. Why do we bother to pray? If God is all-knowing, if God is all-powerful, why does He call upon His children to pray to Him? Well, the assumption that Jesus makes at the beginning of this passage is that his listeners pray. He says, when you pray. Just like in last week's passage when he said, when you give to the needy. There is no if here. This is the expected behavior of people who name the name of Jesus Christ. That we will come to him in prayer. The assumption, the expectation, is that you and I will pray. It is a given for the Christian. J.C. Ryle, a British pastor, many of you are, are familiar with him and his writings in the late 1800s, he puts it bluntly, this passage teaches plainly that prayerless people are not genuine Christians. If you do not pray, how can you name the name of Christ who expects that his followers will pray to his Father? Well, the Heidelberg Catechism, one of the earliest Reformed catechisms, says that prayer is necessary for the Christian because it is the chief part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Thankfulness is a requirement. 
It is an expectation which God has of us. And prayer, this catechism teaches us, is the main way by which we express this thankfulness to the Lord. We come to the Lord in prayer. We sing thankfulness, uh, our thankfulness to the Lord in prayer. Hymns are certainly a form of praying to the Lord. Now, it is a safe bet that if I were to take a, a poll of all, of all of us present here this morning, uh, it's a safe bet that none of us would say we pray as much as we ought to pray. There is truth in this statement. And the first step we need to take in order to pray more is to see that prayer is an absolute necessity for the believer. We've got to see it as a necessity for us, for our walk with Christ for building up our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It is a necessity. We cannot imagine being in a relationship with a child or with a parent or with a husband or a wife if we never talked to each other. Can you imagine if there was never any communication between a father and his daughter or a son and his mother? And yet if we don't pray to our Heavenly Father, We're going right against the the way, uh, the natural course that the Lord has has created for us. You see, prayer at its most basic level, you break it down to what prayer is at its most basic level, and it is simply talking with God. It's conversing with Him. It's communicating with Him. It is a conversation between a person who has been adopted into the family of God and His Heavenly Father. Prayer is a privilege for believers. It is a privilege which is purchased for us by God's Son who brings believers into the household of faith by the Holy Spirit. You've been adopted in Christ Jesus into God's house. And so you talk to Him as a son or a daughter of the Lord. It is through Jesus Christ that we have gained access to the Father. And one of our responses to this fact is thankfulness through prayer. I'd ask you as we consider these few verses to think uh, on this thought, that Jesus Christ teaches us to pray because he has gained access for us to his Father's throne by his death, by his resurrection, by his ascension. Jesus teaches us to pray because he has gained access for us to his Father's throne by his death, by his resurrection, and by his ascension. He has made it possible for us to come into the presence of the Lord. Well, I've divided this passage up once again into three sections. We'll skip around a little bit this week. Uh, the first section is not like the hypocrites, verse 5. The second section is not like the pagans, verse 7. And the third section is like sons of God, verses 6 and 8. Again, not like the hypocrites, verse 5. Not like the per- pagans, verse 7. Like the sons of God, verses 6 and 8. So first, let's look at verse 5. Not like the hypocrites. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now many times, if you have done any teaching at all, if you've stood before people and tried to explain something, many times it's easy to, uh, when explaining an idea or a concept, to try to explain it by what it is not. By by defining it uh, in the negative. And in verse 5, Jesus defines proper prayer by giving us an example of what not to do. By giving us a negative example. He tells disciples how not to pray. And his example is the hypocrites. He used this example in the previous passage, which we looked at last week. 
Just as in last week's passage, these hypocrites, they stand up in the synagogues, they stand on the streets, and what do they do? They do what should be done in private. They do it publicly. Jesus instructs his followers that when they pray, they must not be like these hypocrites. These hypocrites who pray in public. But does this mean that we should not pray in public? Is that what this passage teaches us? If it does, we're already in trouble. We've already prayed in public this morning. Jesus is not saying we should never pray in public. Jesus himself prayed in public. You remember the feeding of the thousands, the 5,000, the 4,000. What did Jesus do? He publicly gave thanks to his Father for that meal. Jesus is not saying we should never pray in public. He is concerned with our motives for praying in public. And so he uses this example. The hypocrites pray, why? They pray so that they will be seen by others. Just like they love to be seen uh, giving to the needy. They love to be seen praying. Now this is something that doesn't make sense to us in our society. In our society, there's probably not a lot to be gained by praying in public. You may pray in public. Many of us pray before meals if we uh, eat at a restaurant. It's unlikely that when people see us praying, they look to us and say, oh, what a pious person that person is. More than likely, they want to steer clear of us. They probably think we're going to proselytize. We're going to try to evangelize them. But in that culture, in the culture in which Jesus is is preaching, people there were overwhelmingly religious. And the person praying out in public might be viewed by others as, as taking some sort of defiant stand against the Roman occupation of their land. They might be seen as, as, as taking a stand, uh, uh, being an, as an especially devout follower of Judaism by praying in public. In, in Judaism, there were three daily times of prayer. And Jesus is saying that when people should be gathered in the temple, when they should be gathered in the synagogue, instead the hypocrites are gathered on the street corner to be seen by those on their way in, perhaps. Jesus' point is that your motive, if your motive is for any other reason than to talk to your Heavenly Father, if it's for any other reason than simply seeking to converse with your Father in Heaven, you are praying for the wrong reason. And in this particular example, the desire is to glorify self rather than glorify your Father in Heaven. It is certainly the motive, the elevation of oneself in the eyes of other people, that Jesus is condemning here. The desire of the hypocrite is not to engage in conversation. It's not to engage in this intimate talk with their father. It is to be seen. They're not seeking intimacy with God. They're seeking applause. And Jesus says they have received their reward. They have nothing further to look forward to. Well, let's turn now and look at verse 7. Not like the pagans. In verse 7, Jesus uses another negative example in order to help define proper prayer. He says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Hear what Jesus is doing here. In the same breath, Jesus is lumping the religious elite. He's lumping the Pharisees and the scribes and those who seek uh, to, to show and demonstrate what pious people they are with the pagans, with the Gentiles. And this must have been a very uncomfortable thing for those who found themselves in that camp. As one commentator puts it, hypocrisy is a misuse of the purpose of prayer, diverting it from the glory of God to the glory of self. Verbosity is a misuse of the very nature of prayer, 
degrading it from a real and personal approach to God into a mere recitation of words. In either case, and this is Jesus' point, in either case, the Pharisee and the pagan are not that different. They're both misusing prayer in the eyes of God. The hypocrites thought that public prayer would win favor in the eyes of the public. Pagans thought that the repetition of mindless praises would win favor in the eyes of the deity to whom they were praying. And the pagans to whom Jesus refers, these Romans or Greek, which were very present in this culture, they had a variety of gods uh, to whom they might pray. And their prayers were designed to manipulate these deities. They were designed to bend them to their will. They used as many names as they possibly could for a particular deity in the hopes that that deity might hear them, might single them out over all these other people who were praying to them. But the, the, but the phrase heaping up empty phrases, which is used in the Bible only here, probably refers to mindless prayers. It refers to thoughtless prayers. And this is something that pagans are not only guilty of. This is something that, that you and I are guilty of. There are times when each of us, because of tiredness, because of fatigue, for whatever reason, because of distraction, our prayers are not engaging our minds. And we offer up mindless phrases to the Lord. Jesus says we are to keep our minds engaged, We're to keep our minds active in our prayer. Jesus elaborates on this type of thoughtless prayer. He says the Gentiles think that their prayers will be heard because of their many words. They think that they'll be heard because they're continuing to talk and speak and say all kinds of things. This is the way the prophets of Baal prayed in 1 Kings chapter chapter 18 when Elijah challenged them to call down fire from their God onto the altar. Verse 29 says, And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. For all of their mindless wailing and crying out to Baal, they got nothing in return. Their empty prayers were a reflection of their empty God. God expects our minds to be engaged when we pray. When we come to him in prayer, he expects us to be deliberate about it. And I recognize that this is a challenge, especially in times of corporate public prayer. When we ask you to follow along with the prayer of the person uh, leading. It's challenging to keep your mind focused, and yet the Lord calls us to this. He doesn't want you to mindlessly uh, be uh, assenting to something. He expects us to be involved. Our attention should be on him, not on getting the words just right so that he will hear us. Because you see, God hears us because he loves us. He hears us not because we use some sort of special combination of words, not because we use some sort of formula of names, not some kind of incantation that is used by the pagans. He hears us because he loves us because we are his children. And he loves his children. And just like earthly parents, he loves to answer the requests of his children. He loves all of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ because we're his sons and daughters. We've been adopted into his family. We've entered into a family relationship with him. 
And when we pray like pagans, when we pray like those who mindlessly speak words, without engaging our minds, we are distancing ourselves from our Father. We're treating Him as if we don't know Him. We're acting not like children speaking to their Heavenly Father, but like strangers. Now there's something implicit in what Jesus says here, and I think it needs to be brought out. When Jesus is speaking about the prayers of the hypocrites and the pagans, he is saying here that God does not hear their prayers. This is why you don't pray like them. God does not hear them. And that's something that we need to keep in mind. And this is a very difficult thing for many Christians to hold to. Does God hear the prayers of everyone? In a sense, yes, he does. God is omniscient. He knows when people are are lifting their voices in prayer. But if people are not praying through the name of Jesus Christ, if people are not praying as those who have been adopted because of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, he does not hear their prayer in the sense that he will not answer their prayer. We gain access to the Father's throne by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and by no other way. And so there is a sense in which our prayers are limited. The prayers of people, human beings, are limited. Mankind's fall into sin when Adam fell means that we have fallen. We've all fallen out of our relationship with the Creator. The lines of communication have been severed across the board. And the only thing that restores it is faith in Jesus Christ. And humble submission to Him. And because we are in Christ, because we've been adopted as the sons and daughters of God our Father, He listens to us. You see, the natural relationship of human beings to God is that we are no longer His children. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 to 3, human beings are the sons of disobedience, among whom we, once, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Human beings have no right to expect access to the throne of God. We lost that right when we fell in Adam. And the only way that it can be regained is by being adopted into God's family through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, as God's true son, he has unlimited access to his father. And when we embrace Jesus Christ in faith, we are received into the household of faith. And we have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God, including prayer. We have a right to it. It's a privilege. It's not a right. But it becomes a right because we've been adopted. And this is why we pray in Jesus' name, because it is through Jesus that we have access. Jesus Jesus teaches us to pray this way in John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24, among other places. Here he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Now, this does not mean simply that you tack the name of Jesus on at the end of your prayer and expect that everything is going to come to you. No, that's not what it means. It means, yes, we should do that. But it means that our entire prayer is lifted up to the Lord through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. God hears you when you pray because you are his son or his daughter. And this is why prayer is so special to the Christian. And this is why it's expected of each of us. Let's turn now and look at verses 6 and 8. Like sons of God. 
In verse 6, Jesus tells his followers how they are to pray. He gives instruction to us. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now this description of how the believer should pray is in contrast to the hypocrite who prays in public. Jesus commands us to engage in private prayer. It is one thing to pray in public. And remember, Jesus is not condemning public prayer. He's condemning the motives of the hypocrites who pray to be seen. Uh, It is one thing to pray in public. It is another thing to pray in private. And a more accurate gauge of where your relationship with God is, is the quality of your private prayer life. Do you pray in private? Do you set aside time to be with your Father? Most of us would have to say, not enough. We don't do it enough. But do you pray privately at all? This is what Jesus is telling us to do here. Do you pray privately only when things are going badly in your life? Is it somewhat like a Hail Mary offered up in the hopes that the Lord will hear it because you're in deep distress? Now this is not to say that God doesn't use hard things in our lives to drive us to prayer. He certainly uses them to drive us to prayer. But do we pray to Him when things are going well? And many of us, most of us perhaps, would have to say, no, we don't. Not enough. We need to step back and honestly assess our prayer lives. We need to step back and look at ourselves. And if we don't pray, we need to ask ourselves, why not? If we do pray, what is the quality of that prayer? Are we just going through the motions because we know it's something we need to do? We should not use our circumstances as an excuse for not praying. We shouldn't say, well, I just don't have enough time to pray because I have my busy schedule. I don't have a place to pray in private. My house is too crowded. There are too many people there. These are not valid reasons. Think about this. In Galilee at the time when Jesus spoke these words, most homes had one or maybe two rooms. And the only room with a door in it was the storeroom, was that, was that inner closet, which is where Jesus says in this lesson that we should go. There was very little privacy to be found in houses, and families were much larger than they tend to be today. This is why Jesus so frequently went into the hills to pray. You constantly read about Jesus going up into the hills to be with his father, but when does he go? Because you see, at dawn, at dawn when, the, when day broke, the workers went into the hills. That's where the groves were. That's where the olives grew, olive groves were. That's where the workers went to work in the fields. So when did Jesus go to pray to his father? Before dawn. He got up early. Jesus, the eternal son of God. One would think he did not need to pray. And yet he did it regularly. Personal prayer is so crucial to the believers that we've got to be willing to lose a little bit of sleep if that's the only time we can come before our Father and pray to Him. But in reality, we have to admit that privacy isn't the only or the main reason why we don't pray or lack of privacy. Even the smallest of our houses has some room in it where we can go and be private for a few minutes. I suspect that the main reason for not praying privately is because we're dealing with some sort of sin in our lives or some area that's preventing us. Our prayer life is a fragile thing. It's fragile. 
And when there's unrepentant sin, it's very difficult for us to come before our Heavenly Father. You've got to deal with this. I have to deal with this. We've got to work this out. We've got to repent. We've got to confess. This is what restores that relationship, which enables us to pray to our Father. As soon as I confess to the Lord, He restores it. As soon as I confess, He hears my prayer anyway. It's in my own mind that the sin doesn't make me want to pray. As soon as I do, God forgives and the prayer relationship is restored. And the conversation begins anew. I want to encourage you this morning that if you are struggling to find time to pray, if you're struggling to find a place to pray, lose a little bit of sleep. Get up a little earlier. Spend a couple of minutes deliberately seeking the Lord in prayer. Start small. Don't overwhelm yourself, but make it happen. Prayer is crucial for your well-being as a believer. Read your Bible when you pray. Prayer is a conversation, but you have to hear what God has to say to you, and He speaks to you through His Word. So your Bible should be read in conjunction with your time of prayer. Because you see, God loves His children. God loves us. He looks down upon us with favor. And Jesus says at the end of verse 6 that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The reward is God's answer to your prayer. And God's answer is based on His knowledge of our needs. He answers according to what He knows that we need. And so sometimes you may pray for something. You may pray for something that you don't really need. And the Lord may not grant that prayer. He may not grant an answer that you want. But verse 8 says that we should not be like the pagans, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He knows better than you what you truly need. Well, this raises the question again. Why bother? Why pray? God already knows what we need. So why bother Him? God knows our needs, but He wants us to recognize them as well. And it is through prayer, one of the ways in which God conforms us to the image and the likeness of His Son. He makes, us, it, makes it known to us what we need. And He also makes it known that when He answers the prayer, that He takes care of us. He is the one who provides. He's the one who gives us the basic needs of our lives. Well, verse 8 makes it clear that we don't pray to make our needs known to God as if He didn't already know them. We don't pray in order to make God uh, uh, take action. We don't pray to make God do what we want. It is not God who changes through prayer. We change through prayer. God changes us. He does not change in response to our prayers. John Calvin said of prayer, believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to Him, or of exciting Him to do His duty, or of urging Him as though He were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek Him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on His promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into His bosom, in a word that they may declare that from Him alone they hope and expect both for themselves and for others. All good things. This is why we pray. And God delights to answer our prayers. 
For the Christian, God is our Father. He loves for us to pray to Him. And He loves to answer our prayers. As Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verses 11 to 13, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him instead a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you, are then, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the way our Father operates. This is the way he works through our prayers. God delights in the prayers of his children because he delights in his Son, Jesus Christ, through whom you have been adopted. When we pray to our Father, he hears the voice of his Son. And this is why we pray. Let's come before the Lord now in prayer. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this word. We pray, dear Lord, that you would indeed convict us and that you would challenge us to a more faithful life of prayer. Remind us of who we are in Christ, that we are the adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God, and that what was formerly off limits to us, the throne of grace, we've been granted access to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.